Hi there, and welcome to the Boomix Show Laws of Money podcast. This is episode nine. I have been conducting live broadcasts on social media channels, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, to try to teach people how to protect their assets in times of crisis. The circumstances we are now facing has made it more urgent. While I normally have spent six to eight hours creating an episode for the podcast, I am now taking the feeds from those live broadcasts and publishing them on the Boom X Show Lots of Money as they are. The goal is to emphasize the substance of what I am saying, even if the production has a feel about it as if it's a, you know, a like a live broadcast. Just pretend it's radio. You'll be fine. If I say something too quickly, you can always go to boomxshow.com where I publish all the resources I mention in a show. And you can even see the live broadcast. Our time is limited. Let's get started. Welcome, Boomxers. Let's throw out the old playbook. It's time to tear down the traditional way of looking at your life and money. And leverage the laws of money to our advantage. That's right. There are laws of money. And those who learn and leverage the laws of money win. And sometimes win big. Stay tuned as asset protection attorney Daryl Tuttle, educator and leader of the BoomX Nation, shows us how. Beginners, investors, entrepreneurs, fellow attorneys. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's arm this ball. Now, here's the Boom X Show. The Laws of Money. Okay, so there's not very often that um, an estate planning attorney can successfully pull off a live broadcast and characterize it as essentially um, like keeping up as they unfold. But the topic for today is simply this. Um, How can we protect our assets during a crisis? There's good news, my friends, there's good news. Now, um, as we define crisis, really the point is, I'm just gonna say it, We, we, are experiencing a pandemic. And as luck would have it, um, this is not the first time there's been a pandemic in human history. And I, I happen to have a love for history. And history records for us that there have been several pandemics. There was a, a pandemic in ancient uh, Roman times, about 540 um, AD, called the Justinian Plague. And I verified this, like uh, up to 100,000 people, 100, 100 million people passed, died during that um, event. Now, it's hard to know for sure, but essentially um, a version of the bubonic plague broke out during the Roman times and just devastated a community, Istanbul in particular, and of course, when the Roman Empire fell, that information was kind of lost to history. Um, now, the good news is, um, as I hate saying the good news is, I, I mean that in terms of a solution. We are here today, I've got to believe that you're as anxious as I am. And that is um, 
but the stock markets are are declining. We are. I'm not going to use the word um, falling markets. I'm not an, an alarmist. Um, I will say that um, they are declining. And if you are a, an experienced, mature person in the world today, you will know that uh, it. it uh, like I, I, I'm stuttering a little bit. A person that is not known for stuttering. Because who knows? I mean, before the quarantine mentality broke out, we were already in a, in a time period when, when we looked at things as if, like, what is the next 30 years going to be? Technology has been moving so quickly. And the way we communicate so quickly. Right now, I wish you could see. One day I'll share with you, but I, I'm streaming over here. I've got my computer linked up. I'm streaming live on Facebook. Now I'm staring at my iPhone, I'm on Instagram. Up there, I'm recording this so that I can take the audio and make it into a podcast. And podcasting is audio only. And the concept behind a podcast, as you know, is like let's spend some time and really get it um, highly produced. And so on my podcast, I have spent six to eight hours to produce and publish one 45-minute episode of my podcast. That is best practices. That is what is being told to you all, and, or, or to every podcaster, rather. And we want those podcasts to be high content, high quality. Now, my background is in radio, live radio. I don't know if you knew this, but radio is live. And in radio, the button comes on and boom, you're on air. You better have your game. You better know what you're talking about. And so... Um, if you go to um, boomxshow.com, you can see the episodes I've done. But I was on radio for eight years, every single week. The light goes on, boom, on air. You say it, you speak it, you better have game and lay it out there. You better have content that people want to hear. Podcasting is not that way. And so because of people's anxieties as it relates to declining wealth, and I mean, I'm losing their assets. I, I, I had a conversation with a, um, a client in retirement who lost, has already lost $230,000 in the market and they are in a diversified portfolio. Everything else that people are hearing about that you were kind of talking about and thinking about in terms of the effects of the pandemic pales in comparison to the financial and economic impact it will have on you, on your retirement, whether or not you are going to be able to reach your goals. Um, I, and, and so um, <clears throat> I just said, screw it, man. I, I'm going to do a 30-day challenge. A and that challenge is I'm going to go live until I'm done talking and give people free advice and tips, not advice, but tips and a perspective of an asset protection attorney who's been in the trenches for 25 years. And I say that because um, I, I've always been skeptical and I've always been a bit concerned. And as I've aged a little bit pissed off by information that's being sent to the public regarding the way finances and investments and an estate should be set up. I say that because as from my perspective, the way, the way I feel about it, looking at the work that I do for my clients and have all this time is that we can put a little bit of effort into it 
And as a professional, we can seek high compensation, high profit. Or we can put a lot of effort into it and concentrate on uh, value-added services to our client. And I'm here to tell you, like, in my profession, the, one of the biggest single problems that you have with your estate plan, and probably don't even know it, is the revocable living trust. Now, I myself, when I was a younger attorney, um, uh, so a revocable living trust, <clears throat> let's just talk about it. Let's back up. A revocable living trust is simply a, um, a, a trust is a legal construct. It's a legal document. And that legal document, that concept of a trust goes back to the Middle Ages during the bubonic plague, during the Black Death, they called it. I want to repeat that. Eventually, I'm going to get to the good news. But the single best method to protect your assets during a crisis came into existence because of a pandemic. I'll explain that later because I find it fascinating. And I studied European history as, as a hobby. <laughs> like, you know, I have a degree in history, but I also studied it as, as a flippant hobby. And... Um, I, I don't know why, but I became interested in the Black Death, the plague, the bionic plague. And then at, when I became a lawyer, I started studying legal history. Like, what is a trust? When did it start? Why does it exist? What are we doing? And then, of course, my mind is blown because, man, I do not. My practice area is not sexy. <laughs> I mean, like, like intellectual property and patents and trademarks. Mine, I mean, you know, we don't go to court that often. We don't really get into conflicts, and we're trying to help people um, reach their financial goals. And we're trying to match what the law says about it to uh, what um, the client's goals are. And that's not necessarily an easy thing to do because if you think about it, first of all, humans have all these different goals and, and perspectives. If you are um, in your mid-20s, your goals and your thought presses and the decisions that you make are completely different than a person in their mid-80s. Um, people have different values. Um, too often, as people age, their attitude is, um, I just want to die and pass my assets to my kids and good luck. Well, that's simple estate transfer. Other people take this attitude and my, my morals and values are this is the correct attitude look it took me a long time to create this wealth to earn it and to get that rate of return to grow it it just has taken so much now that i have a substantial nest egg i want to protect it i want to make sure that i have enough for for myself and for my surviving spouse or other family members who are dependent upon me and when I pass away and when my spouse passes away, I want to make sure that my kids can reach their goals too and that they have the money that they need to make that happen. Now, that may sound like, like it's not very, very hard or very easy to do. I assure you, it's very hard to do and you have to put some effort into it. But those two goals are different. A state transfer is like die and leave the assets behind. I mean, that's not... Okay, you, LegalZoom can do that for you. you. You don't need 
a, a money attorney to help you with that. That's shocking, I know. Asset protection is pretty tough. Now, the very first trust in human history had that problem. And here's the way it played out. I mean, you could pass, the estate owners of the Middle Ages could pass their estate to a qualified male heir if, and only if, he was a qualified male heir that was still alive. If there was no qualified male heir, guess what? The estate went back to the government, and which is fine, but, I mean, statistically, there were enough people successfully passing their assets to the next generation. It wasn't a big deal. During the Black Plague, in which in Europe, 50 to 60% of communities were wiped out, if you got the plague, plague is based upon a, um, a bacteria. The coronavirus, of course, is a virus. So that's one difference. Another difference is the bionic plague. If you contracted it, you were dead in a week. It was that fast. And 50, 50 to 60% of populations were wiped out, whereas with coronavirus, we're looking at a little above, what, 3%. No, I'm not a, a bug expert. Don't pretend to be. However, the bionic plague was far worse in terms of the economic impact it had on those communities than what we are experiencing. And when there was no qualified male heir, the government took the asset. Like it was death and a 100% loss of your assets. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty brutal. And so if you think about it, like what, what, okay, I'll ask, what would you do? I mean, you're an estate owner you have this amazing asset and around you it's almost like you can look out on the horizon and see an explosion and smoke come up as your neighbors their estates are lost i mean that's pretty amazing and all of a sudden you notice you got a tickle in your throat too and and your son had to go take a nap because he has a um a fever well you're no fool you you realize okay if I pass and he passes, we're gonna this family and all the people dependent upon it and dependent upon me lose everything. And I'm like, man, humans. I mean, the bad news is um, there are people who are losing money as we speak because of this virus. Don't pretend otherwise. All of us um, are at risk of estate erosion, and some of us are at risk of state depletion, estate depletion, which, which is troubling. It is. Um, however, think about that plague, that pandemic, the way that played out. I mean, we're talking high, high degree of probability that you get it, a high degree of probability that you die from it, and, and almost a guaranteed certainty that all the wealth is gone, <laughs> Right. Now, if you think about this expression, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, ain't that the truth? Because these people had a problem. I mean, we've got to, we have to solve this problem or we lose everything. <laughs> like, no pressure. And so what do you do when you um, have a problem? I know you're not going to believe this answer, but I'm going to ask it again. What do you do? What do you do, Jose? I'm talking to you <laughs> when um, you got a problem like that. Well, according to the expression, 
um, necessity is the mother of invention, what you do is you hire a lawyer because <laughs> the lawyer is going to solve the problem. Um, to make a long story short, here's what the lawyers did. <clears throat> they transferred title of the estate to a trust. And so the government could not take the, the asset back if legal title ever transferred from the estate owner to a kid, the son. And so the lawyers just cleverly took legal title, just the deed, just the legal title, and they transferred it to their law firm, which is never a bad idea. You know, because we've got to generate fees. So the lawyers created transferred title to the estate to the entire firm, all the lawyers in the firm, with joint tenant with right of survivorship. Now, if you think about it, we still have joint tenant with right of survivorship today. We do. If you open your checking account at Bank of America, what will happen is they will almost certainly open the account, if you're married, with the, both husband and wife's name on it. When the first spouse dies, the second joint tenant owns the asset completely. By operation of law, no probate, no tax, no nothing. Um, and that's what these lawyers did. They created this pool of attorneys that had joint tenants with right of survivorship. When one lawyer died, another younger lawyer was hired by the firm, and that continued forever. And the result was the asset was completely protected 100%. If you think about that, you know something, that is amazing. These attorneys in the Middle Ages created a legal construct that 100% chance of estate loss and 100% of the loss of the estate was guaranteed. By the time these lawyers got done with it, there was a 0% chance of estate loss. I mean, I got I to gotta admit, I don't know if lawyers can... They kind of screwed us, really, because we're never going to meet that. Right? That is an astounding victory for transactional lawyers in the estate planning space. I mean, it just is. And um, it, however, if you think about it, it, was, it, it also eliminated estate tax. It wasn't just um, a sheetment taking the asset. It was even the estate tax that would normally occur. That first trust was a estate tax saving trust and an asset protection trust. And the the... The concept that these lawyers had is the, con the concept of a trust. Now, what happened historically, remember Henry VIII? I mean, I know. I bet you you do. You've heard, I've, you've heard Henry VIII because Henry VIII killed all his wives. Um, he did. I think how many were there? Like six, seven, or eight wives. He had them executed. He got tired of one, and um, he took, took the, just killed her and took another one. <laughs> And, um, you know, if you think about it, I got my friend Jose listening to me in Puerto Rico and we joke about stuff and like, you know, <laughs> that's such a bad idea. If you're the king, if you're immoral and if you're just an egocentric narcissist. Now, what happened to um, Henry was he was spending so much money marrying and killing all his wives that he had a financial problem. And he passed a statute that abolished that first version 
of the trust. And within one generation, the trust was back in the form that it is today and has not changed. The basic requirements of a trust are is that you have an asset and you want to keep it and protect it and you transfer it into a trust, which requires one person that is responsible for the legal title, has legal title of the asset, and is responsible to managing it and protecting it and growing it by a higher standard than just a person. The highest standard is the fiduciary duty. That's the standard that a trustee is held to in, the, in this country. Manages that asset for the benefit of yet another person, a beneficiary. Now, if you meet certain requirements, the asset is called asset protected. If you don't meet certain requirements, it's not. For example, the living trust, which is so common. I mean, I, I myself have um, drafted hundreds of living trusts in my career. And a living trust is a trust that avoids probate. Now, I'm not, the purpose of this live is not to get into a lot of details about trust law in this episode. Um, it is to let you know that there was a plague in human history that was far worse than what we're facing today. That plague wiped out communities. That plague wiped out wealth. The law had a response. The law in, in medieval Europe, and, and this is important because America is based upon British common law. We have inherited many of the concepts in America today that, that are integral, vital to the law. I'm, I'm here to tell you, it came from the Middle Ages in Great Britain. For example, when in, in the uh, Middle Ages during the plague, the process of taking back an estate, the king, the crown, taking that back was called escheatment. That's an archaic French word. I'll be gosh darn if my state, Washington state, does not have a statute about a state in estate planning called, believe it or not, escheatment. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, so let me get this straight. Escheatment came from France to Europe, or to England, rather, during, by William the Conqueror during the Norman invasion. And then it went from England to America by what, the Mayflower? <laughs> Which basically is true. And then from the Mayflower, Lewis and Clark brought up by covered wagon and canoe <laughs> to Washington State. That, my friends, is a dedication. Humans have an, an amazing capacity to hang on to a really bad idea and make sure it lasts forever because escheatment means if you die without a qualified heir and don't have a last will and testament, it's possible that the, the government ends up with that asset. The, the Department of Revenue of your state is the person who have legal title of it. And so what happened in the Middle Ages has a direct bearing on what happens to us if we want a legal solution. The law has requirements. These requirements must be met, period. If you do not meet these requirements, guess what? It is brutal. The law, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Let's see if there's any lawyers listening that disagrees. 
it's binary. Um, if you do not meet the, the requirements of the law, that's it. Um, I can recall my very first lesson in that. Um, I was so upset. I'm still upset. That was 17 years ago, and I'm still upset about it. But I filed a lawsuit um, against the state of Washington. And in our state, you have to file a pre-claim notice. So you've got to let the government know, hey, trouble's coming. I'm about to sue you, which is unfair because, like, you're going to figure it out when you get served your, the complaint. But in my state, you've got to do pre-claim notice. And I made the mistake of signing the pre-claim notice on behalf of my client. Um, and the statute said that the client had to sign it. Well, like, wow, that's technically not correct. But lawyers are agents under agency law of their client. So I am standing in the shoes and representing that person who's suing. The ruling was no, <laughs> no. The statute doesn't say that. It's binary, one or zero. You either met the requirements or you did not. And if you did not, you do not pass go. You do not collect $200 and that's it. And I lost that on summary judgment because of a mistake I made. This is the first time I've ever publicly stated that. Um, I had a great relationship with my client, and so she's okay with it. And however, it, it, I learned a lesson that day. And in the laws of money, if you think about it, Chief Justice Warnberger of the United States Supreme Court died without an estate plan. He had a handwritten will. He did not appoint a personal representative. He did not account for estate tax. He did not account for much of anything. Died without what I would call an estate plan. Lost 40% of his estate. Now, in my mind's eye, I'm like, okay, so the probate was opened somewhere, and it must have been, oh, I, I happen to know where Warnberger lived. He grew up in um, St. Paul. And so, what, the probate was in a county court in Minnesota, superior court somewhere. And can you imagine being the judge, the probate judge? Hey, I recognize this name, Warnberger. He's the number one attorney in the most litigious country in the world, and he just died. Oh my gosh, it's in my, it's in my court. <laughs> Doesn't matter. He did not meet the requirements, and so it was an, um, an um, like for example, perhaps he issued a bond. Had to issue a bond. The statute might have said, "Got to issue a bond." He lost forty percent of his wealth, and there was nothing anybody could do about it. His name, Warren Berger, did not do anything to prevent that from happening. And so, you've got to meet these legal requirements. If you do not, your assets are not protected. Now, there's a trend in the law that is concerning. If you are um, drafting and selling a living trust, please stop doing that. Because that is a probate avoidance trust. It is not an asset protection trust. Now, in Medicaid, when you get older and you fall and break a hip and get dementia and get Alzheimer's, you may need assistance. Now, living trusts are starting to be viewed as, an, as a trust that can do two things. Number one, it can blow up and make you ineligible to leave your half of the estate or what you own to your surviving trust in a true asset protection trust in a will. Sorry. And if you take a personal residence and transfer it into a living trust, the law states in some jurisdictions that that asset is no longer protected. 
is is a countable asset by Medicaid and has to be spent down just because you did not understand the difference between a grantor trust and a non-grantor trust. Now, I'm getting worked up (laughs) because I've been upset about this for three years. The point is there is a difference between a, a trust instrument like they had during the Black Plague. That did one thing. It made the asset unavailable to creditors. I don't want to repeat that. The basic principle of asset protection is that it is, the asset is transferred or retitled so that it is no longer eligible and cannot be reached by a creditor. Assets in a living trust oh, absolutely can be reached by a creditor. A different kind of trust is necessary to protect an asset. And so, you know, um, things have been going so well in this country and people have been making so much money. It's a time of um, great prosperity. And as a former army officer, I'm like, this is great because I worry about my son fighting in a, in a wartime. Um, but it really, the world as a whole has lived through like a peaceful era and people are doing great. And so I just feel like we've gotten a little bit lazy and the concept of asset protection has not been as, as important. Now, as a man, I'm telling you, $230,000 loss in your stock portfolio because you just kind of trusted what was going on um, is one thing. But two months from now, when the, the economy realizes, oh, my gosh, um, the entire food services industry was out of w- work for, give me a number, a week, two Three, a month. In my state, um, so weird, man, because it happened so fast. Um, the Supreme Court of our state issued an order to the courts. You're not in business anymore. <laughs> You're not in business until April 24th. Now, we're going to let you do a little bit of business if you do it through the Internet, like uh, on a Zoom. And you got to understand, lawyers are like the worst. <laughs> Okay, so the, the lawyers in the Middle Ages actually came up with this thing, an asset protection trust, in response to a, um, a plague, a pandemic, an illness. That trust is still basically in existence. That's amazing. But, man, we haven't been on top of anything since then as an industry. <laughs> like, lawyers look back in time for answers. Like what happened back 200 years ago, we're going to apply to today. Therefore, very few um, attorneys know. I know lawyers who lament the invention of the printer. Like literally they typed wills out. And Zoom meetings aren't as common among lawyers as they are other industries. And so, I mean, if you're in my industry, you know the pain. It's like, how do I do a Zoom meeting, Your Honor. Um, And so we have to admit that a pandemic, such as we're facing, um, is going to have an economic impact. And it's not just that. It's also health. It's my position that the law and the services that attorneys um, offer is not limited to legal documents. Um, In fact, I'm I'm about to... In fact, I'll I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll... I'm about to launch, and I will make a commitment to, in some form, um, 
I'm just going to start giving my estate planning documents out for free. <clears throat> because the, the value proposition is not the documents. It, it's the concept and the ideas and, and the ability to meet the laws requirements that are contained on the pieces of paper. And when we focus on delivering a last will and testament, that's what we focus on. What we forget is the system of implementing the last will and testament and the asset protection trust that's in it for the correct time period. Now, estate planning attorneys are said to be transactional. Well, man, we're screwed right there. We just blew it. We just absolutely failed our mission because as soon as we view it as a one-time transaction, that's what the client hears. They take the documents, they go on home with the documents that, paid, that they paid a lot of money to get, and they have no idea really what to do with the documents once it happens. And even if they did know, they forget when they die. <laughs> like, dementia happens a little bit every single day. By the time you realize you have dementia, you forgot. And so the plan falls down. It, it, it doesn't succeed. I bet you I've, I have drafted, I don't know, I've been a lawyer for 25 years. I had hair when I started. Didn't have these bags under my eyes. I bet maybe over a 1,000, maybe, estate plans. In hindsight, I realize, um, I bet you less than 50% will successfully implement what we, was, what we hoped would occur on the pieces of paper. And if I could go back to the very first day I practiced law, I would, I would do it completely different. I would say, like, look here, fill out this online form. Let's just be crazy. Let's just imagine that back then, don't laugh. I don't know what you're thinking. <laughs> that was not nice what you thought. Okay, just 25 years ago, let's just imagine that we weren't on the covered wagon to trying to get to the, that there was the internet. Like, have an online form, merge the documents based upon what the client said, here you go. Now, now that you have, we've met the legal requirements, how are we going to bring younger family members to the plan? Like, how? Tell me. Have you even told your oldest son that he's been designated the personal representative or the executor? Does he even know? And if he does know, does he have any inkling, does he know that... Um, asset protection trusts are taxed at a higher tax bracket and that he has to file a 1041. Don't panic. I, I mean, I got you covered. But what's going wrong is we did not educate that young man and bring the younger family member to the plan. And you know, the thing is, I've learned no one cares that much about money. Um, that's not what they care about. That's not what excites them. I, I have done... I'm slowing down now, but in my career, I was doing four meetings a day. So I've talked, to, I've talked to you all. I know what you own. I know what your income is. You get excited when you talk about your kids. When we talk about your account statements, your eyes glaze over. You feel anxious. You feel a little sick to your stomach sometimes. You just, it doesn't mean anything to you. Some people, yes. Some people, most people know. And what's missing is like the money is what finances the financial vision of the family. I need to know the time, time the, like the time horizon. And putting that part together is where all the work occurs, in my view. That's the value added. Now, does 
an estate planning attorney, asset protection attorney, have any value added or value proposition as to the health of your children? Uh, uh, the law would say no. I mean, no. It, that, we're not trying to draft a legal document that helps your son um, with drug addiction or with um, a disability. I disagree because our, the rules of our um, industry, lawyers, says we can give advice about non-legal matters and candidly probably should because it impacts the money. Now, if you want to, like, when you hire me, one of the questions I'll ask you is, does every single person in your family have basic nutrition met? Does every single person in your family um, have shel their shelter needs met? Is every person, um, does, like, how is their well-being? Anybody struggling with mental health? Does everybody feel fulfilled in their job? Does everybody feel, um, anybody, like, insecure as related to other people because their passion is anime? I have a daughter who's into anime. Is she listening? <laughs> and, or, or, or art, or or jobs that are lower compensated. And so a great plan looks at, okay, man, I, I, you know, Daryl, that was a great question because I thought I was in here just to figure out how to pass money to my kids when I died. But really, if you think about it, uh, helping a child who is not happy with where they are in their job, like if you wanted to extend it that way, requires money. The two are linked. And if your goal is a state transfer, I'm like, I, dude, I don't know what you're talking about because my goal is to die and then leave it behind. Good luck. You don't need a lawyer for that. LegalZoom will do that for you. Trust me. I'm going to repeat that. If your goal is to die and then just leave it all to your kids, good luck, roll the dice, then it doesn't matter. Just Go to LegalZoom. I've seen those. I've purchased those documents to see for myself. And I thought to myself, hmm, if you like for a simple estate transfer, they're perfect. And they're cheap. Don't hire a lawyer for that, ever. Lawyers have to have, they have to bring more to the table. Now, to think about it in terms of how do we help that child, that if that's within your values, well, the law has a lot to say about how we do that. And if your goal is be intrepid, I mean, come on. We're going to get we're going to get through this stupid virus. We're going to get past this pandemic and we're going to do it not only correctly and with pride, but we're going to do it so that we're better off. Because I don't know about you, but it's got me to thinking. It helps me think about what's important. For example, I've been so afraid to, um, okay, so <clears throat> I started this podcast, and this live is motivated by me, um, like, you know, I need kind of an incentive or reason to do a podcast, because I'm so busy with my practice, and, and a podcast episode is six to eight hours, and so I've been lazy, I mean, I, I, I don't like that. And now with the, um, and it has to be perfect. Like I'm such a perfectionist. I won't do a live because I might misspeak. I might stutter. I might this. I might that. And 
I don't know why I wasn't that way when I was younger. <laughs> I mean, I go to court sometimes. Sometimes I didn't, like, I forgot, maybe I forgot to file. <laughs> the old Daryl would be like, Judge, I need a continuance because I forgot my file. But, um, and so I'm making, I'm going to do this for 30 days in a row, and I'm going to record everything that I say, and I'm just going to put it out on the podcast because this pandemic, like, attorneys with high um, work ethic, we've got game that other professionals don't, but those guys will go on and, and say stuff far easier and far more readily than we will, my industry, like that, like the top level of the estate planning attorneys. No more. I mean, I, I, we're going to have a serious conversation so, the, so you can know what's under the hood, what's really going on, and think about some things in the context of what I fear will be a pretty serious economic fallout. Um, and it's going to, t it's not um, how to protect your assets in three easy steps. There's no such thing. Um, there, there's no good wealth plan in the context of a down market, let alone a possible worldwide economic crisis. It's not three easy steps. It's not five easy steps. There's no plan, you know, plan B workshop. <laughs> there is uh, being a student of some, like a different methodology. Um, for example, I bet you, if you're listening to my voice right now, I could almost guarantee you, almost guarantee you that you've never even thought it possible to plan your wealth for people who are not alive. Am I right? Like, I, I would be stunned if one person has, has, has a viable, flexible plan that goes beyond that one generation, your kids. How do I know this? I've done over a thousand cases. I have seen thousands of account statements and income statements. And every single conversation I've had is basically, die, leave it to the kids. Wow, that's really great. I used to be an infantry officer and... Um, the infantry is the only organization I can find on the planet that is obsessed with failure. Failure. Um, people will say, I read it all the time, we, we live in a very optimistic, inspirational-based world. And that is a great environment for the stinking extroverts. <laughs> They've been beating up on us for years. Um, I'm kidding. You know, I've, come on, we can laugh. <clears throat> and so you'll see on Instagram, social media, Facebook, wherever, something like um, failure is the best lesson for success. How many times have you seen that today? Well, I'm, man, I, I'm an introvert. I have a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> and so I studied the people who had cited for the quote. Why is this quote being attributed to Oprah Winfrey? And as it turns out, in all cases, there's not a published example of the failure to which they are referring. And in some cases, that person didn't even say it. And so the sentiment is more or less, uh, for humility purposes, we learn something from failure. We're not going to publish what the failure was. We're certainly not going to 
disclose what the lesson was and but we will talk endlessly about all the great things that we've done no, nothing wrong with that that's I'm, I'm not making value judgment about it i believe that's an accurate statement except for the army um, the army does study failure and the army does disseminate the failure it does go so far as to publish to all the members of that organization what the lesson was with the idea don't do it again. For example, do you know the mistakes that Custer made? The Army knows the mistakes he made. One mistake is he didn't send out a recon. Like, go send somebody out and peek over the hill before you attack what turned out to be the entire Sioux nation. And to this day, the Army... Okay, lesson number 56, General Custer. <laughs> know what you're going to do before you do it. Now... I point this out because this is a great teaching point as to how you're going to get past this stupid economic fallout from the stinking virus. And it's got, you've got to think in terms of time frame. For example, I want you to concede that if you are 19 years old and just graduated from high school, if the average life expectancy is 25 years old, you will make completely different decisions than you would if life expectancy for you was 85. Yes, I say that because one of the themes of this live is that the asset protection trust that could be very, very helpful for you during this pandemic was created during the Middle Ages by the Black Plague. There's a direct link between the bubonic plague and the invention of, <laughs> which is great, I mean, as a historian of the Middle Ages and a lawyer, that's amazing. However, average life expectancy without the plague in the Middle Ages was 25 years old for a male. So I just graduated from high school. Should I go to college? No, you're 19. By the time you graduate from college, you're dead, <laughs> right? And so you're not going to make that choice. Now, in today's environment, well, you know, average life expectancy for a male is 84. For a woman, it's 87. The bad news is, who's listening to me here? I can see some people that I know who are over 65 years old. If you're over 65, here's the bad news. You have a one in five chance of reaching age 90. A one in 10 chance of reaching age 95. I mean, wow, I have a 10% chance. Those are bad odds. I mean, like, I'm 56. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live until 95? What am I going to do? <laughs> like 40 more years? And the choices I will make will be completely different if I know when I'm going to die. And, and if I don't, if I have a high degree of probability, it'll be 10 years. Now, can see this, my friends. If your wealth plan is based upon the premise that you're going to take care of your surviving spouse if you die first, that is different than if you are not even caring about your surviving spouse. Are you planning for yourself only? Don't watch this live. It, does, it doesn't matter. If you're planning because, look, <clears throat> the most important thing is family. That's it. Um, I hate to break the bad news to you. And let me explain family. It's you get to decide. Um, the ancient Romans included... Uh, one of the reasons, God, it's fascinating. I'm going crazy here because one of the reasons 
Italy is so hit hard by this virus, in fact, it might be the only reason, is because in Italian culture, all the family members communicate and older family members are much more likely to come in physical contact with younger family members. And so that's not the case in America. In America, um, I'm an elder law attorney in a sense, and a tax attorney, and a tired attorney, <laughs> and a podcasting attorney. But we put, place our family members in assisted living facilities, and we just don't socialize like the Italians do. Man, that goes back to ancient Rome. Um, their concept of family was immediate family, extended family, all the allies and professionals that we want to call family, and even slaves, like servants, were considered family, and they were brought into this unit. And so when I say the most important thing is family, that's the most important thing is family as you define it. Um, and I'm here to tell you that when you're thinking about your values during a pandemic, because there's no better time to think about that, ask that question. When you are, um, I mean, when you are making just a, a lot of money easily or if you have that expectation, you know, it's easier to not take like heavy questions seriously. At least it is for me. I'm not telling you how you think or feel. I'm, I guess I'm describing myself. You get busy. You get distracted. But I'm reminded. It's like, look, you're a death attorney, man. You're an expert in death. You're an expert in, in money. Um, the real experts, the real experts in, and I count my, I'm going to, say, I say it, I count myself in this number. The experts in money are the guys you don't hear from. Why? Because we're too busy working. <laughs> like, <laughs> And, you know, even I, you know, it's been impactful in, in, in my personal life. I mean, like, wow, I mean, like, we need a shelter in place. That means the family. And so as you define it. Now, the time horizon is different. I would make a completely different recommendation for you if your goal was one lifetime. I'm going to say, look, here's a great opportunity for us to dig our stinking heels in lift a little hard and kick this virus's ass. I just said ass and now I've got to do a disclosure on iTunes and YouTube that this is an explicit episode. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to edit that part out for the podcast. Um, the point being, this virus is not going to kick our ass. I said it again, assets, not going to take our assets from us. And we're going to be better off because now I'm going to challenge you to think about the third generation or beyond. Family wealth. Family wealth is not financial wealth. Family wealth is having a financial vision for the family that is more than three generations. If you start thinking that way, just think about it tonight. And when you're saying, wow, I listened to this crazy dude on the Man, this guy was nuts, and he was talking about something as crazy as thinking about wealth beyond my lifetime. I don't understand. <laughs> when you get older and <clears throat> it gets a little closer and you realize, man, I love my wife, then you're going to say, well, okay, better re-engineer us to include her. Let's take care of her. And then when you look at your kids, like, hmm, 
I love my kids, but I'm not sure she knows the difference between a mutual fund and a bond. That's a problem. Um, I, in my career, I underestimated. Got in fact, I got this one completely wrong. And the reason I got it wrong is because, first of all, I didn't know any better and hadn't experienced it yet. But I, I, I gave my clients too much. Um, how do I say that without insulting them? Because I see some of them are on watching. Okay, if you're my client like this, clients are just wrong. Um, they, they, don't, they don't see the account statements, thousands of them. And what I, what I, miss, um, what I missed was estates are depleted when they're left to children outright, even when the child is responsible and mature and responsible, or uh, good with money and experience is what I meant to say. Like, I don't have to worry about that, Daryl, because my son is worked in the finance department of Boeing. Okay, well then, let's just give the gift outright to them and let's trust until they're 25. That was wrong. Family mismanagement is a major threat to your assets. I always make the joke, the number one threat to your estate, the thing that is going to deplete it to zero is you. Alzheimer's, dementia. I had a client that once paid $30,000 per month for long-term care. She was an accountant. $30,000 per month. That was a high net worth case, but $30,000 a month. How are we going to make that work? We did because they came to me in time. The second biggest threat is your kids <laughs> because I don't care who they are. When there's a large gift that's made, it changes people. Um, and without asset, think about it. So you leave your $300,000 estate to your kids. You pass away last year, let's say, and now there's a pandemic. The stock market markets are falling. You made a mistake because now that asset can be reached by creditors. Your kid didn't do anything wrong. There's just a free-for-all in the market. Lost their job because they were in the restaurant industry. It pisses me off because, you know, lawyers should have known better. Um, we should have been having a different kind of conversation with our clients this whole time, saying, look, I'm going to push back on this a little bit, and I'm not going to be so lazy, and I'm going to stop pushing these revocable living trusts that changes the asset to um, – a, a living trust can change an asset from unavailable to available to a creditor. Not only is a revocable living trust not an asset protection trust, by the way – I feel sorry for people in California, man. They're screwed. Here's, they're screwed for a lot of reasons, but um, <laughs> I love California. That's where Disneyland is. In California, apparently, um, us probate attorneys can take part of the estate as their fee, which, wow, that's pretty cool. I wish we had that law here. Um, and so a way to avoid probate is revocable living trust. And so everyone goes out and gets a revocable living trust. Well, the problem is now uh, the trend is in my state is one of them for Medicaid purposes. What was once a protected asset, but once it hit that trust is unprotected and available and spend downs occur. Now, you could say, well, just transfer it out. Yeah, except people don't do that. They don't know. And, and the lawyer who looked at the job as transactional. What about 20 years later when it happens? <laughs> like, you know, come on, use your brain. 
And so when we leave these assets to our kids, the whole time we've just been lazy, not really taking appreciation for how often the asset is completely depleted. I'm tired of keeping my mouth shut about this. Completely depleted because we just listened to the clients and said, okay, well, you know best. Your son, you know, he has an Edward Jones account, so therefore he should be the person responsible for the tax reporting on the trust. It doesn't work that way, man. It's just not the way. That's why vast amounts of money, and my, I've seen my clients' estates being depleted because of those two things. Medical costs, medical care costs is, the, is a killer. Number two is family mismanagement. Um, and if I could give a tip, you can draft a plan. You can actually think about stop loss. Do you know what stop loss is when I say, use that term? So in the financial services market or industry, I know this because and I overachieve sometimes. I should mellow out. But um, I used to be a financial advisor. I own my own registered investment advisory firm. So I've got some game. And in that industry, you can actually build in orders that sell in a crashing market. Now, financial services industry discourages that. Why? Because they can't get the commission. Like, you know, I mean, they want to keep you in the market. That's the cynical view. I can say that because I'm not in that industry anymore. My duty is to you. Like, lawyers, we get to say what we want if it helps our client. So now I do agree with modern portfolio theory. However, that's just one example of building in a stop loss when it sell. My clients who lost 230K, we, I didn't have that conversation with them like I should have. And it wasn't there and it's still declining. And I made the mistake of saying like, look, your financial advisor will take care of that. Financial advisors, is there any listening? I don't know. But financial advisors, there's not even like a, an educational requirement. <laughs> like, it's astounding to me that you can be a financial advisor. Okay. <clears throat> By the way, to be a lawyer, there's, a, a, there's an educational requirement. And it's a big one. It's a three-year program. And after the three-year program, the only thing you get to do is take a test. <laughs> That's it. That's all you're licensed to do. And um, one mistake I made, and which I have now corrected, is that build a financial plan, not a roadmap. Don't even come to me and ask the financial advisor to participate. And we build into it all of these emergency provisions, and we amend it and include it, incorporate it by reference into the estate plan so it's legally required. Now, <clears throat> I'm not sure what you said, Daryl, but that sounded really, because you said it with passion. You're, you're gosh darn right I said it with passion, and here's what I mean. Like, it's not discretionary, it's required. This is my money. I'm the person that made this money, not you. And so if I'm going to leave it to my kid or leave it to my surviving spouse, I'm going to build in the plan exactly the way it's going to occur. And when I'm gone or incapacitated or when I'm educating my younger family member, who will be the family leader one day and bringing the plan to him now, not later, when I'm doing all of that, I'm going to put it into the trust instrument and the powers of attorney to make it absolutely required and hold even my son to a fiduciary standard to make sure that it occurs correctly the way it should. 
That way, we reduce the probability of loss in a crisis to zero. Okay, not zero because I can't control the market. But I'm telling you, I'm getting worked up because that's the mistake that was, has been being made for a long time. And we have a pandemic. We need to get into the mentality, as I began this episode, of the lawyers who've invented the Asset Protection Trust during the plague. I want to repeat that. During the plague. You think that this is bad? You should, like the plague, that was a bad pandemic. Lawyers created the Asset Protection Trust and the concept that we still use today, which is amazing. I mean, it's still available. Like the, the thing that saved wealth in the Middle Ages is still available to you today. <laughs> Why? Because lawyers look back in time and we cannot, <laughs> like when we have a good idea, we cling to it. It's funny. And so um, boomxshow.com. That's boomxshow.com. Um, I started this live because I was sick and tired of keep, keeping my mouth shut. And we're in a crisis period. And anybody that says otherwise is an extrovert, <laughs> an extrovert, an optimistic. Sometimes it takes us introverts. I mean, introverts are not, we're not like unhappy people. It's just that we stew on things, man. <laughs> we, I watched this live the other day. It's common now, you know, in fact, I got the idea for doing this um, every day at four o'clock. I missed today because it was the first day and I had to set stuff up. But every day at 4 o'clock for 30 days, I'm going to do this. You can go to boomxshow.com if you register. I'm going to figure out a way to respond to your questions and do all that stuff, right? Um, so that you can be in the loop. Because candidly, I've got Facebook over here. i got Instagram over there. i got something over there. I have lights. I don't even know what the heck I'm doing. Um, but we got to get the word out. And I was watching one of these lives the other day, and the guest was this really optimistic, happy, cheerful guy. And he's like, every day you wake up and you have a choice between negative and positive. And negative never helps. And positive sometimes helps. So I choose to be upbeat and positive. Well, allow me to retort. Man, you made that too simple. It's not, I wake up every day and it's either evil and good. <laughs> it's, I wake up and... Um, I have a lot going on. I wake up every day and I, um, am I suffer from depression or I suffer from this. <laughs> and so, I don't know. It, it, okay, so introverts, <clears throat> me included, we, we do a lot. And so I, what I'm going to do is um, every day for 30 days, I am going to publish or go live. And so you can jump on and you can learn more about topics related to asset protection in the context of a stinking virus. You can go to boomxshow.com and because uh, that's the podcast. That's where you can go and, and see the past episodes and you can listen to this episode in greater detail. In its, in, like, I'm just going to put it on raw. I'm not going to heavily produce it. And I will have links to resources so you can you know, do your thing. 